0: Welcome back to the Russell Street Replay. This is our Baltimore Ravens recap podcast, but obviously now the season has ended. We don't have any more individual games to recap, so we're going to start just by recapping the whole season. This week is the first of a few full-season replay podcasts that we have planned, uh, in, starting by ending, handing out some end-of-season versions of our weekly awards. And instead of our big questions this week, I think I'm just going to open up the floor. I'm joined here today by Ron Tooth, as usual, and and just open up the floor for a little mini rant or reflection session about how you feel like the season went.
1: Ron, I'll let you take it. Yeah, no, it's great to be here again with you, Nikhil. We got a lot of fun stuff planned as we head through the offseason here that viewers should definitely, you know, stick around for and keep an eye out for. But um, just in terms of this season, I mean, what a roller coaster, right? <laughs> you know, to start off the way we did, I mean, we talked a little bit about that Chiefs game last week. I mean, even just from the the rip in Las Vegas, the opening night, you know, the sky is falling. And then the the next week we go and beat the defending AFC champions, the team that's been the monkey on the Ravens back for, what, three years now. And you, you feel like you're on top of the world. And, you know, then there's the Colts game. There's the Vikings game. There's even the Chicago game with Huntley. All these exciting games that they came out on the other side of and i know i said this one last week as well but you kind of expected that regression to the mean to happen i just don't think any of us really expected it to happen to the extent that it happened i mean losing marlin and then losing uh lamar on top of everybody we'd already had gone and then dropping six straight it's it, probably one of the toughest stretches for a ravens fan in recent history i'd have to imagine i mean even the seasons that were that were kind of rough you know you look back at 15 you can go all the way back to 2007. We kind of knew the whole season that things weren't really going our way. You know, there weren't really playoff hopes after the first month of the season, it felt like in most cases. But it it was it was definitely rough. And you still got to give the team all the credit in the world for how they fought despite all these injuries. But Uh, I think I could speak for everybody when I say that I'm much more excited heading into 2022 than most people would be on the back of a six game losing streak to end the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ways that we're spoiled Mm -hmm. as Ravens fans that this team is competitive pretty much every year uh, in some way or another. But I, I think I think you really hit it right on the head in terms of that whole regression to the mean. I kind of saw it even more dramatically as the other shoe completely dropped because the bottom just fell out, right? This team was competitive. This team was gutsy. It was staying in games that it didn't necessarily have business staying in Jackson missed a game with illness. We were already without Dobbins and Edwards and Peters and Stanley. And, you know, we overcame a lot of that early in the season. And then all of a sudden it just between the additional injuries to Marlon Humphrey, Deshaun Elliott, Others, uh, it all kind of just coalesced at once. Jackson goes down, and and that's kind of, that's kind of it. And you know that you know goes to talk about his value to the team and and, and the importance of getting him re-signed. Um, but I also think what you said at the end is really important: is that we are really excited for this next season. I was super excited for the season. I thought we came in having one of the best rosters in team history. And and yes, that was that is assuming health the health of Stanley and the health of Nick Boyle. I think all of us were probably a little bit too optimistic about their ability to come back and start playing at a high level right away. But if those guys are healthy, even if those guys aren't healthy, honestly, this is one of the better rosters in team history. And if those two guys are fully healthy coming in, I think it's hard to say this isn't the best preseason roster in this team's history. Um, And so in a weird way, these early injuries, I think, helped get the super bowl or bust feeling off our back. That was there at the beginning of the season in terms of, we've been so close with Lamar. It feels like we've got all the pieces and the weapons pretty early in the season. We realized between Stanley, not being ready, the running backs going down and Peters, this probably just isn't going to be our year and kind of adopted the attitude of let's enjoy the ride. I know our hopes went all the way up when we took the one, when we took the one seat in the AFC late in the season, and then it all falls apart. But it wasn't crushing because I think at a certain point we were ready for this to happen. The shoe was, the other foot was always going to drop. And so it sucks that it dropped as emphatically and dramatically as it did. It sucks that the other shoe dropping was honestly, partially just losing Lamar for, you know, a a third of the season. That's going to do you in, but we're here now and we're heading into next season. Tyus Bowser got his Achilles surgery. Everyone else is on the mend and you just hope that, no one picks up any off-season injuries. I think that is the biggest, my, maybe my biggest off-season wish um, specifically because uh, free agents and draft, it's a bit early for me to get too specific about what I want there. But I think my biggest off-season wish, regardless of what happens in free agency in the draft is going to be the health of our team as it is right now is the same going in is, is the same actually better going into the preseason Marlon Peters, Dobbins Edwards we've seen videos of Dobbins and Edwards doing their rehab um, getting those guys back and healthy but everyone else who kind of suffered with stuff throughout the year Dalen Hayes was a guy that excited me in the preseason I thought he could I thought his history at Notre Dame and his play style he could learn a lot from Tyus Bowser. And hopefully be a versatile player in this scheme um, within a year or two. um, And certainly show off some pass rushing chops like he did in the preseason. And then he just has to deal with all these lingering, stupid injuries all season. Chris Restry, kind of the same thing. We're really excited about him. Tears his meniscus, comes back, has trouble staying healthy. I just want all of these guys to at least get a fresh start for 2022, be able to come into next season as fresh and healthy as they can and put their best foot forward. Because a lot of these guys had opportunities this season that they missed like Westry is a huge one to me that it sucks that he missed those first games, not because of Peters was injured, but because you look later in the season at more and more guys getting injured and you think, man, this could have been, I know we talked about it being Averitt's breakout year at the beginning of the season, that didn't work out, but you got to imagine if Westry's able to play more than whatever the handful of games that he played this could have been a real breakout year for him and it's sad to not be able to see that and it hurts when yeah you lose your starters but then you also lose the young guys that you're excited about so that's the biggest thing for me is 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 get healthy and stay healthy going into next season
1: Yeah well it's funny that's the thing right it's like when you look at everything that the Ravens need to address in the off season the biggest thing might not even be on the field. It might be their strength and conditioning. And uh, I mean, you know, we could have the Bermuda grass discussion uh, all week if we want, but I don't see any other teams having, you know, brown grass on their practice fields. And it just, I don't know. And a lot of these injuries of course happened in August when, you know, the everything wasn't dead in the ground, so to speak, but uh, there's definitely going to be half, there's going to have to be some kind of review in that regard, uh, we can't have another season like this. And after so many injuries and, and how many of them were non-contact, how many were just, you know, torn ACLs, whatever, what have you. Uh, it's it's too much to just be a coincidence, in my opinion. So I think something, and far be it from me, I'm no expert in strength and conditioning, as you can probably see, but something has to be done in terms of how what can we do to ensure our players health whether that's you know going a little less hard on guys in training camp whether that's you know more veteran days what have you either way something's got to be done in that regard because we can't we're not going to be able to survive another season like the one we just saw
0: yeah everyone's sitting in the preseason there's another one i mean you know i totally understand having dobbins got injured in the preseason so did lj fort and you know that it's it's really tough where it's really tough to gauge like okay how ready are these guys the younger guys are, are the ones that don't have as much experience. They don't have, you know, eight, nine seasons under their belts so that they can just come in and play every year. Um, you know, I think, I think an injury season like this is always going to spark some reevaluation. Uh, I don't honestly, like you said, probably neither of us know enough about the Raven strength, conditioning, medical team, all that stuff to Freddie specifics, but, the, the hope is that not necessarily that heads will roll over this, but just that they, they learn from it. You make improvements. I think that's the biggest thing. We'll see. I mean, we've been one of the healthiest teams in, this, in the league in other seasons. In 2019, for example, we were one of the healthiest teams in the league, and that's when we were beating everybody. And so it also goes to show how important this element of luck um, in terms of injury luck is to team success. And I'm sure someone has done a pretty interesting study uh, that shows that the most successful teams are often the ones with the least injuries, especially when you get to the playoffs and all of a sudden you're not just playing the Browns anymore. Uh, You have to play the best teams in the AFC. And that's not always going to work out when you don't have your starting offensive linemen, half of them available or anything like that. So health is the biggest thing for the Ravens going into 2022 for sure. Uh, moving on to our weekly categories, we're just going to do, uh, you know, season ending versions of our weekly categories. So Raven of the Game becomes Raven of the Season. I had four nominees for this. Mark Andrews is obviously going to top this list. He won the team MVP as voted on by local media. Also won team good guy, which is not surprising given how uh, open and honest he is during his press conference. I think that's the big thing. Justin Tucker uh, deserves this this year. Um just as much, if not more, than any other year. I think he's always in this conversation as one of the most important players on the team. But this year was one of those years where when we needed to win games with the margins, Tucker didn't miss. He just, I mean, he doesn't miss anyway, but in the biggest moments. Ty Spowser, I I, I want on this list, partially because I'm I'm still uh, distraught over his Achilles injury. And I think he just, I think he had a really good season doing a ton. I mean, he led the team in sacks despite not really being the team's leading edge rusher he did he obviously rushed the passer a lot but he was dropping into coverage he was setting the edge against the run I think he just had a really good season and I cannot get over the four-year 22 million dollar contract that we signed him to Um, I think that's an unbelievable value for a player who you know you think about letting guys like Judon go and Judon's fantastic he's done great on the pats but the Ravens kind of walked out with a steal I feel like when they signed Bowser to that deal instead of signing Judon to a massive one uh, and Bradley Bozeman I think it's a shout out here switching back to center he played center Alabama and it's big for the Ravens to have a consistent center we've had issues with Matt Scora and Patrick McCarry in seasons past McCarry had a couple uh rough games at center as well and just to have some consistency at that position with the amount that we run out of the pistol. Uh, You know, I think it it was really important for him to have a good season contract year. I think a lot of us are hoping that he sticks around. Uh, But if not, I think Tyler Luner Brown might be there at 14 for us. Hint, hint Um, Ron, who did you have at Raven of the season?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to give it to anybody besides Andrews. I mean, the best tight end season of any Raven of all time. And considering we've had some pretty good ones around here, that's that, that's no uh, small accomplishment to your point. Just a great guy on top of it. Uh, I said this a few weeks ago, but just he's one of the few guys that when you watch his pressers, it feels like it's a legitimate conversation as opposed to just, you know, the basic coach slash player speak. So, yeah, I got nothing but love for Andrews. And I'm very excited to see what he does next year, because it, it feels to me as if and not just to me, it seems pretty obvious he's just entering his prime. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, he's entering what year four next year, year five, excuse me. And it just, he he's, he's going to tear it up again. And I can't wait to see it, especially with Lamar back at full strength and everybody else back at full strength. And it can't just be, you know, double Andrews, every play, you know, there's going to be Dobbins back. There's going to be Edwards back. Hollywood's going to be out there. Bateman, you know, go down the list, whatever. So yeah, Andrews is definitely my choice. But all the other all the other uh, names that you mentioned are also right up there too. I mean Tucker, we could talk about all day. Sixty six yards. I mean, l- let's go down the list. You know, um, Bozeman is interesting too. You know, it's funny because uh, the Ravens flock was so so upset when we didn't get Creed Humphrey in the draft, and I just saw a graphic today about uh, you know pl- uh, pass block win rate among centers in the league, and Humphrey was one. So. You know, that's kind of tough. But Bozeman was two in the in all of football. The his pass, his pass blocking win rate was two in all of football. So, I mean, that, that's pretty awesome at a position that I mean, you think back to Buffalo last year when there's snaps going over Lamar's head and he's getting concussions and all these stuff. It, it was nice to see at least that part of the offensive line have some stability this year. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with him coming up. I think he deserves the contract. I realize, of course, it's all going to come down to numbers. If a team like, you know, throw, Detroit wants to give him, you know, north of $10 million a year, who knows what's going to happen there. But I think he, he if, if it's any indication what, how he acts in the community right now, it's very obvious that he wants to stay here. So I'm sure if it's a matter of, a, a, you know, a million or two difference, to, to go play somewhere completely else where they don't have this kind of winning culture established, he'll probably stick around. At least I would hope. And uh, Bowser too, you know, great. You mentioned his contract. I mean, five and a half million dollars a year. That's a steal. I mean, especially when you look at like what we're paying guys like Calais Campbell and stuff like that, who didn't really have anywhere close to the same impact uh, on a consistent basis that somebody like Bowser did. So you got to give him his flowers too, but Ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's Andrews all the way.
0: I mean, he had one of the all-time tight end seasons, not just by Raven, but period, right? He almost broke the tight end receiving record. He put several Ravens receiving records, uh, franchise records uh, under his name. And he was just that guy any moment when the team needed something. And I think the other thing that's more remarkable, I know I've talked about before, is He's also been one of the best run blockers in the NFL this year as a tight end. And that's something that not that he was bad at it before, but he just wasn't asked to do it as much with, you know, Pat McCarr, uh, sorry, Pat Ricard and um, Nick Boyle running around. But with both of those guys picking up some uh, knocks, some injuries this year, Andrews was doing everything and, you know, beating everyone downfield. Especially and and he did that with both quarterbacks. That was another thing, something we've talked about with how Lamar seems to have better chemistry with Hollywood and Huntley seems to have better chemistry with Bateman. I think you could put Sam Cook in there at quarterback and Andrews would still be catching a ball 10 yards down the field. And rocking and rolling for another 15 or 20 because he he is just kind of a force of will. I think that's how I've, I've come to think of him is you know, there there, there aren't necessarily necessarily, you know, a bunch of things that Andrews does at a really elite level that makes him the amazing player that he is. He has next level hands, he has really gotten rid of those drops that we've seen in the first few years of his career and really shown off he's got amazing hands this season. But everything else I see from him. There, sure, uh, there's plenty of good route running, all that stuff. I don't, I don't mean to diss any of that. I'm just, I'm just saying when I see him make a play, it is force of will. It is him saying I'm going to win this over you and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a Raven. And, and I'm so glad he's on this team. And and I think he's going to continue to be one of the best tight ends in the NFL. So definitely Raven of the season goes to Mark Andrews moving on. I to, say, you- I would
1: say probably the best tight end
0: going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, it's, it's so hard because he's going to get, he's going to get better. And this is the crazy thing. He's going to get better every year. And as he, as he kind of moves more into that Travis Kelsey role of I'm going to play within the offense, but I'm going to use my brain to break down the opposing offense with the routes I run that gets to a new level in terms of what he, what his capabilities are in terms of him breaking into that, Honestly, breaking into a bigger discussion about where he may end up in his career all-time tight ends. I know it's really early to have that conversation, um, but I also think it's possible we have that conversation eventually. Yeah, and In a way point, that like, I don't necessarily think we do about Darren Waller. I'm not sure we end up yeah. talking about Darren Waller as a generational tight end. But I think there's a chance that Andrews kind of bridges the gap between um, Kelsey, who's kind of on the older side now, and whatever the next generation of tight ends is.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And to your point about, uh, you know, using his head and the routes, I encourage everybody to go back and check out in that second Cincinnati game, despite the fact that it was an atrocious watch, as we all remember, uh, late in that game, his, uh, the touchdown that he caught from Josh Johnson, look at his route on that play. It's a crosser, but then he shifts up field and causes the Bengals defenders to run into each other. It's just, it's such a heads-up route. It might be the best route that I've ever seen him run. It was incredible. And then he makes a great catch. It was a great throw, too, by Josh Johnson, but just really kind of personifies everything we were just talking about. So go back and check that one out if you don't remember it off the top of your head.
0: Yeah, dudes out here catching touchdowns with Josh freaking Johnson. <laughs> like, he deserves an award on the basis of that alone. Just just what a, what a player. And – I'm not sure I've ever been as excited for Ravens contract extension as I was when Andrew signed his. I'm sure my excitement over Jackson's eventual extension might outweigh that, but Andrew's another one that I think is going to look like a steal in a couple years, um, provided he keeps improving, um, moving on to unit of the season had only one offensive unit since the rest were just inconsistent all year, the wide receivers, we've talked about them all year, uh, Eric DaCosta, man, this one's for you. you. You you, saw the deficiency. Fans clamored about it. Analysts clamored about it. And you said, okay, I'm going to go sign Sammy Watkins to provide kind of a consistent base at the beginning of the season. And I'm going to draft Rashad Bateman. And I'm going to trust that Hollywood Brown can take a couple more steps in his development. He's not quite at the level we want him yet. I know we talked about that last week. But this wide receiving group was awesome this week year Watkins was really good as kind of a little third down safety net to start the season obviously Hollywood started off with a lot of deep shots they gave him some off coverage and he started he's got he's improved his hands he's not having too many bad drops on those little turnarounds he could still work on playing through contact Um and then Bateman, obviously the rookie has really impressed. And then you just go down the line, right? Duvernay, Proshi, Wallace, three guys who I think are all going to contribute next season to this offense. Wallace was great on special teams. Boykin is the only one who see, uh, I don't think he sticks around next year. Great run blocker, great special teams player. And, and he could hang on for those reasons, but he just isn't a receiver. And, and I think when you're a receiver, you have to be a receiver. You have to be able to run routes and catch the ball. Um, uh, but, I think this was a great unit this year. It was one of the units that kept the offensive float when Huntley had to come in because they were just good enough to not necessarily beat their man in terms of route running, but just beat their man in terms of effort and physical, physical speed, physical ability. I mean, James Proshi and Tylen Wallace are, you know, not certain, not necessarily the most gifted players of all time, Uh, physically but they just had that grit on a couple plays where they needed to get first downs this season inside linebackers this one was a roller coaster losing lj fort patrick queen struggling and then the 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 zen master josh Bynes coming in settling the whole unit down patrick queen looked phenomenal by the end of the year and chris board even I, i started you know i'm still not not locked in on him being our third down pass coverage linebacker in the future uh, but again, with all the injuries and him having to play a lot of snaps, he played well. And then you also look at guys like um, Christian Welch, who mostly played special teams all season, stepped up a couple times in some, in some games on defense. It was a pretty good season from the inside linebackers. Outside linebackers, we've talked about Bowser, Justin Houston, a great free agent signing. Odafe Owe. Those are the three main ones. Uh, we talked about Hayes being injured. I thought I saw a little flash from Jalen Ferguson. At the end of the season, I, I have no idea what we could possibly get out of him in the future any more than we have already in terms of special teams and the occasional run stop on defense. It might just be that he needs a place other than Baltimore to succeed. Um, but I feel like that top three of Bowser Oa, at Houston was really good. And also also shout out the safeties. I know Deshaun Elliott and Ardarius Washington both suffered season ending injuries. And so that required guys like Geno Stone. Tony Jefferson had to re-sign with the team, play a ton of snaps. And Brandon Stevens, along with the veteran Chuck Clark, who caught two interceptions but dropped every single other one, they they did well keeping the back end of the defense alive with all the cornerback injuries. I felt like they overcame their injuries better than the cornerback group did. Um, Of course, it's really, really hard to play cornerback in the NFL, as I think we've seen plenty of penalties to understand how difficult it is. I think the safeties did pretty well given the hand they were dealt.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they did. I mean, obviously, there were some hiccups there. Uh, You know, my choice would be the middle linebackers. We'll go back to that in a moment. So yeah, my choice would be the middle linebackers. We'll go back to them in a moment. Um, The wide receivers. Yeah, uh, they would probably be my second choice if I had to pick one but there's still a lot there that I'd like to see improve. There's other guys that I'd like to see get more playing time. I mean, I know the Ravens Twitter has been nonstop with the use Devin DuVernay, like Debo Samuel takes. I think that might be a little extreme because as good as he is, he's not Debo Samuel, but I totally get what they're saying and would like to see that more creative plays. I mean, people are sharing uh, highlights of his Texas tape where he's lined up at running back and he's doing all this stuff and it's, stuff that they, they should be doing with him because otherwise they're just severely underusing him. And, you know, when you look at the fact that he's an all pro returner, it's, you know, it's tough to say that, Oh, how are they underusing him? But they could be doing so much more. Um, I know we're just kind of bouncing around a little bit here in terms of Boykin, I'm pretty much off that train at this point. I mean, you know, special teams, whatever, what have you, but I would rather take a flyer on a guy in the draft late who might be able to contribute more offensively, while still also filling that special teams role that Boykin has, while also providing a bit more of a potential ceiling, because like you said with Ferguson, I feel like we've just we've seen everything from Boykin already.
0: So yeah, and I think we pick up a couple million it by cutting Boykin too, which is going to be important for next season.
1: Yeah, yeah, we need every dollar we can get with Lamar's contract coming up. So that that one seems like a given. Uh, Hollywood, we talked about him last week. The second half was much worse than the first half. But, you know, hopefully next year with a fully healthy Lamar is when he can finally really put it all together. No one expects him to be a top five wide receiver. But with this contract coming up, he's going to have to show that he's going to be worth north of 13, 14 million a year, probably at that point. Um, Bateman, great, great uh, end of the year, I guess, kind of the uh, anti-Hollywood. Obviously, he was hurt to start the year. And that was when we saw Hollywood have a lot of his production. Things slowly started to go down for him in that regard once Bateman really started to cook with uh, Tyler Huntley. So I'm interested to see what he does next year and if he and Lamar can kind of establish that similar chemistry now that he will have a a full – I mean, he did have most of the offseason. He got hurt pretty late in in training camp this year. But it'll be interesting to see in year two if those two can gel and take that step to where Bateman can be the true number one of this team as opposed to all that pressure having to be – just on Hollywood the outside linebackers I don't know man like they were good in the run game obviously when you look at the final stats I mean Houston had a nice year he had a few sacks away I mean I think that play against Kansas City alone pretty much signified away having a good rookie year he could have not played a single other snap and people would have been happy just because of what he did so late in that game um but I think a, 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 step, a step forward in year two is going to be essential for him as well because he was very clearly not the difference maker throughout the second half of the year that he was in the first half of the year. You know, you, you can see that a lot in college guys, especially guys in the trenches, just because it's a longer season. They're not used to playing this many games, you know, at most, and in always case because he wasn't in any playoffs or anything like that, the most he had to play was 13 games in a year. So that kind of rookie wall that they reference – you know, that, that could have been it. And obviously he was hurt at the end of the year too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we we'll kind of give him a pass in that regard, but I still think that that group could use a lot of reinforcements. So well, maybe not a lot of reinforcements, but at least one or two more guys who can really come in and make a, a big difference on third down when you need a sack. I mean, that, that Pittsburgh game, we talked about this drive last week, the overtime drive, there was just no pressure. Everybody was gassed, you, you know, we were starting to see the signs of that. The fact that Justin Houston's north of, you know, well, north of 30. Now we we need some young blood in there who can come in and really wreak havoc. Cause I feel like pass rushes probably the biggest thing this defense has been missing. I mean, save for the the corners and all the injuries that we had this year, I'd say pass rushes, the number one issue we have right now. So that has to be improved. So I know I'm kind of bouncing all around here just to, circle it all back to say that the middle linebackers would be my choice because we saw that market improvement in Queen throughout the year. I mean, it was rough for those first few weeks, and then something just clicked for him, and all of a sudden he's playing at a Pro Bowl level. And uh, Josh Pines, as you mentioned, I'm sure was a big part of that and really kind of helped him move things along. Um, Interested to see if LJ Fort is back next year. I would still like to have him there for considering what you'll get. I think the team will sign him to
0: a to a, a close something close to the vet minimum. I mean, he's coming off a torn ACL and it's not like he had a ton of interest around the league before that anyway, when he came to the Ravens. So I think they'll they'll probably sign him to a one-year vet minimum. But depending on where they go in the draft and how things fall, there's a chance that he's competing for a roster spot with Bynes or something like that. Um, but I think Fort is pretty reliable on special teams too. So I would probably put, I would definitely put him ahead of Chris Board in a roster competition. So it's just unclear where we'll end up. I think there's, there's always the chance that the rate uh, that I think there are a lot of really good linebackers in this draft class. And so for that reason, I think that either Bynes or Fort could be gone next season, but it also depends on where the Ravens go in the draft.
1: Yeah. And I'm also kind of interested, like, I would love to get John Harbaugh off the record just to ask him how he feels about Malik Harrison's role in the defense going forward. Cause he did show some flashes, especially in the run game, but you know, ever since he had that, the whole gunshot thing, he was just a non-factor for the team. And I mean, obviously he got shot. So like, yeah, it's understandable yeah, so that he I'm, wasn't a factor, but.
0: But, but the idea of him being him and queen being the inside linebacker duo for the next X amount of years, Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like it's going to doesn't look like it's going to work out the way I think the team hoped it did, which is fine. I mean, it's not like you expect. I think it was Harrison, like a fifth round draft pick. You're not going to expect Harrison yeah, to no, was- grow immediately into a, into a starting will linebacker. But at the same time, you, you do have to figure out what the future is going to be there because Fort and Buttons are a little bit older and you. You know, you don't want to always have you eventually want Queen to become the veteran mentoring the young guy, um, even though Queen is still 22, which I read today and was like, wow, that is nuts. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I agree. I think for me, it's between the wide receivers and the inside backers. And but you talk about that improvement over the season as a group and the inside backers were there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and I just, I th- One thing I got to say, as an Ohio State guy, it really it breaks my heart to see them draft these Ohio state guys and not have them pan out. And you look at Harrison so far and Sean Wade, it's like maybe, maybe we go to a different big 10 school from now on. <laughs> yeah. Michigan, get more fullback yeah. from Michigan. Yeah. Or go draft a job in <laughs> the
0: first round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think one of the things we mentioned with all of these units is that there's still a ton of room for growth in all of them. Mm-hmm. Owe Bowser Stevens, Gino stone. The wide receivers are all really young. Patrick queen, You know, I don't know if Patrick, it's it's tough to be a middle linebacker in Baltimore. I'm realizing our standards here are crazy, crazy, crazy high because not only have we had Ray Lewis, but we've also had spots from like really great seasons from guys like CJ Mosley, Bart Scott that make us be like, okay, if you're a middle Mm -hmm. linebacker here, you've got to be an all pro. I think Queen has that ceiling. I'm not sure how quickly if or how quickly he ever hits it, but I think he's shown that he's got that potential. And so the, um, the nice thing is that all of those guys have plenty of room to grow. Moving on to play of the season. Obviously this one is super tough. There's 18 games. There's a ton of plays. Uh, So I'm going to name a few. I'll let you name a few. We might come up with a few more as we're talking. So first one I had, and this is partially because I was in Denver for this one, Hollywood's catch versus the Broncos. The week after he drops all those passes against the Lions was just cathartic for, I'm sure for him, but for me as someone who was like, he's getting so close to being this deep threat that we need. And that was a pass that he had every reason to drop. It was a little bit out of range. It was Lamar's longest pass of his career, and he went full airborne on it, and and he reeled it in, and it that was fantastic. Huntley's what I'm going to call his mad dash versus the Browns. This is right after he took over. I think this is right after this is the game he took over for Lamar um, after his injury and made Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney miss I think twice each on a single play which I think gets you a medal from someone, but that was a heck of a play. And then two defensive ones I want to highlight to start here, Bowser strip sack versus the Rams. It was a really, really nice move on Havenstein uh, the Rams right tackle. Bowser actually got chipped by the tight end coming in. uh, And I would encourage you to look this play up. If you can, Bowser gets chipped by the tight end on his pass rush and uses that chip to take his momentum inside give him a little bit of an extra speed boost to get by the right tackle on the inside. And Stafford even does a really good job breaking the sack. He does the thing from remember the Titans where he flips Bowser over his back. Bowser still finds a way to poke the ball out. And to top it all off, you have Justin Houston being the first person on the field to react because he's just, he's a vet. He knows, he knows what's going on. And then the other one, you mentioned this earlier, um, two plays versus the chiefs. I'll shout out here. Actually, Oh, it's forced fumble. Huge, huge, huge. Obviously, the play that earned him his uh, rookie laurels. Uh, There's also the fourth and one, the conversion, really gutsy call by Harbaugh early in the year that worked out. And I guess I have a third from that game as well, the jump pass to Hollywood. That was also kind of, I think, ultimately the game winner, I believe. Um, or may, may have been one of the go-ahead touchdowns, but again, just a little, that that was uh,
1: much needed though, much needed little, little jump pass action,
0: Hollywood wide open down the field. It was very similar to the Browns game last season. Um, almost like a virtually identical play, virtual, virtually identical coverage. So a lot of good plays in that game. Uh, what other plays you want to throw in here?
1: Uh, yeah, well, just to really quickly touch on, um, a few that you mentioned that the jump pass would be my choice for the play of the year. Uh, at that point it was 28 to 17 and we we're in the beginning of the second half and it would just kind of started to have that feeling like, okay, we hung tough for a while, <clears throat> but you know, the chiefs had just scored. It's like, Oh boy, is this going to start to get out of hand? And then Lamar pulls that one out of his back pocket. All of a sudden it's 28, 24 play ball. You know what I mean? So that was, that was my choice for the play of the year. I, I mean, just Lamar's athleticism. I, I, wrote in an article for Russell street report. When I recapped this play that there's two guys in the league that can make that throw the guy who made it and the guy that was standing across from him on the sidelines that night. So incredible play. That would be my choice. Uh, great catch by Hollywood and Denver, which we got to see more stuff like that, given how early in the season it was. Oh, we did at times, you know, we had the game winner against the Colts, which you'd have to kind of mention there just in terms Uh, of the the Bengals whole effort, the Bengals deep ball from Lamar that
0: I don't know how Hollywood got his feet in there, but he's got, he has that part of his game down at a minimum big step this year.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We even saw that going back last year in the Cowboys game. He had a really nice one late in the season. Some other plays though, that I'd like to mention Uh, Devin Duvernay's touchdown in the Vikings game late, the one that tied it up that catch in the back of the end zone, like, Holy crap. Very, uh, very similar to what we said about Andrews before in terms of a heady route, kind of weaved his way through, did what he had to do and just found a place in the back of the end zone. Lamar hits him. Great catch. Great throw. The way he you know, somehow found a way to cradle that thing in was incredible. So that one will definitely be in there.
0: I'm sure there's a ton we're missing, too. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, had oh, yeah. had a crazy fast sack against the Broncos as well that stood out um there's there's one to me I think that's missing that honestly I think it's my play of the season I, I'm not sure if it would be my play of the season if the season went and ended differently but I think in a season that was just kind of in shambles Justin Tucker's 66 yard field goal yeah. I think to me is just like hey all of this other bad terrible nonsense happened this season but Justin C- Tucker kicked the longest field goal in NFL history and That was just pretty incredible. I just I can't remember seeing something that was quite that that quite flirted with that line between he's definitely going to hit it and there's no way he's going to hit it as a 66 yard field goal and not just any old 66 yard field goal. This is a game winner in Detroit. This is Tucker returning to the field where he had his biggest success, the 61 yarder in 2011. I mean, that, they should rename it Tucker Field now and not Ford Field anymore because
1: he owns that place. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I was just going to mention that. It's, it wasn't his uh, first 60-plus yarder in Detroit. And it's so funny because at that point in the season, you know, some people could look at that and say, all right, you barely escaped Detroit and you had to win by a field goal. But – between the Chiefs game and then that it just it kind of we were kind of starting to get that momentum of oh is this going to be like one of those seasons or maybe everything does go our way and we get all the breaks we need as we saw that didn't really happen throughout the second half of the year but as the weeks progressed and you know we had things like that Colts game with the comeback even the uh the Vikings and the Bears game where Huntley came in it just kind of felt like oh you know maybe maybe despite all the injuries and despite all the circumstances against us, maybe they can really make some noise here. Obviously it didn't end up happening, but uh, just all that to say that, yeah, that Tucker play was, was very massive. Also uh, even in that Chicago game that uh, the throw at the end of the game from Huntley to Watkins Mm -hmm. down to the uh, five yard line. I mean, Akeem Hicks is all over him from the second he takes the snap, he rolls out to the right, throws a, Absolutely perfect ball to Watkins. I, I don't think it would be play of the year when you look at some of these others, like the field goal and like the jump pass. But in terms of, it was definitely Huntley's play of the year. I think we'll say that much. Yeah, and I think having all of
0: these plays of the year is another thing that reminds me that in all the craziness of this season, no one folded, no one gave up. It was actually a, a, a respectable effort. It, it was. I know it wasn't a good season by our normal standards, but with all the contacts considered, it was quite a good season. And we had a lot of moments, a lot of things to be proud of. Uh, you also mentioned Akeem Nix. He happens to be a free agent after this season. Another interesting target for the Ravens. Um, I think play of the season for me has to go with Tucker. I know you said um, uh, the touchdown to Hollywood from the Chiefs, another good candidate. I think, honestly, those two those two games, back-to-back, were maybe the signature games of the season, very representative of the season. The Lions just struggling to get by, but finding a way to do it on Tucker's back, and the Chiefs just sticking with a team that looks like it could win another Super Bowl this year, just sticking with them as long as you needed to, and then making those plays right when you needed at the end of the game. You know, that was the best of the Ravens this season, making those plays when you needed to right at the end of the game. And obviously, the worst was not being able to do the same later in the season. Uh, but definitely for me, definitely that, that Justin Tucker kick. I just, I just think there's something credible about being able to set a record like that uh, in, in, in a giant moment, the uh, the back to practice award. uh, This is, I want to focus on things for, you know, specific units to improve, not necessarily in terms of personnel or coaching, but what can the players work on? I think one thing is, One thing for me, actually, in a little in a weird way, is zone coverage. I feel like we play a ton of man, and we usually do that because Humphrey and Peters are two really good man corners. But I do feel like the zone coverage just isn't as sharp when we do drop back into a zone look because we're not as used to it. And again, that totally has to do with all the random corners that we have. That's why we dropped into more zone later in the season. But I do think that that's like a a little bit of a weapon that we can use against, you know, less experienced quarterbacks um, that takes a little bit of pressure off of our um, our cornerbacks to keep up with talented wide receivers all the time I, I think that's just one small thing that the team could improve on but I think another thing is you just go down the list I think Lamar just needs to take that next step in his development the mental processing and the nuance of where he's where he's placing balls in the short to short to intermediate range his deep ball was pretty excellent all year but it was that short to intermediate range where he was throwing picks and struggling. And so I think both the the processing of his reads and the nuances of ball placement are two things he could work on the offseason. But other than that, like technique improvement wise, you can always work on hands. I think the defensive backs need to work on their hands, uh, throw Hollywood in there for. Not necessarily just his hands; it's playing through contact. And he's talked about this in his in some of his end of season pressers and stuff like that. Um, you know, being able to play through contact, pick up more yards after the catch, uh, and, and break press off the line physically are, those are the things he'll have to improve on. He's five nine; he's a small dude. He's got a ton of speed and obviously a ton of heart, but he's got a he's got to match. He's got to match that with some strength next season. Uh, what are the things you want to see? What other improvements do you want to see from this team next year?
1: Uh, well, to your point about uh, the zone and how teams were picking that apart, I think a lot of that is also due to the lack of a consistent pass rush. I'm sure I probably sound like a broken record. I feel like I've said that 50 times today, but it's true. Uh, You got to get pressure with
0: four, you got to be able to do that. You're not wrong. You, you, I'm totally with you.
1: And when you think back and how you know the days of Doomerville and Suggs and even guys like Trevor Price who came in and had a good year, you, you know, we're used to seeing a Ravens team that can get home with four and can do it consistently. And over these last few years, not having that has been, has been, has been tough. So I, I, I'd expect we'll go back to, to your point, a lot more of the mostly man looks with Peters and well, God willing with Peters and Humphrey back. Cause God knows what's going to happen with him with a restructure and he's due to make a lot of money next year. And I don't think they're going to, considering that they can save most of it, if they were to part ways with him, I think it's going to be either restructure or we're going to have to go a different way, which really sucks because Peters is probably my favorite Raven right now. I don't know if there's any player in the league that personifies being a Raven more than him. So I I think you got to have him back, but um, so yeah, pass rush is definitely a situation that I'd like to see them improve in that one. It's probably going to take uh, adding personnel as a, I mean, you know what you have in Houston. He's a he's a vet. He's a great, but he's not going to be out there every play for you. O.A., uh, we'll see. He's going to have to take a big step. He's probably the only one that we're really not sure about yet. You know, Ferguson, he's been here for how long now? We pretty much know what we're going to get from him. And uh, Bowser, same thing. We know we're going to get from him. It's just, you know, it's good what we get from him. He just can't be your number one pass rush guy. You know what I mean? N- not
0: when you ask him to do a thousand different things in the defense. And I think this is another thing that we'll get. This is something we'll get into when we when we do a front office coaching scheme breakdown. But it's worth mentioning here that, oh, I was also asked to do a lot beyond just putting his hand in the dirt and rushing the passer he was do he was dropping the coverage a little bit he was playing really well against the run but he was also doing a lot of these delayed looped blitzes that you know it's meant to clear you a free pass to the quarterback and it doesn't give you a chance to just try and beat beat the right tackle or left tackle one-on-one in a way that he was pretty successful and so I also think it's a matter of usage and how they're deployed and that's something we'll get into in, in a future pod I'm sure
1: mm mm-hmm. And part of me also just kind of wonders, you know, how much of this is just Wink's scheme, you know, because even, you know, we've seen, although Judon didn't have the second half of the year in New England this year that he had in the first half. I mean, you look at the success he had and then you look at like Zadarius Smith and how he instantly became a 15 plus sack guy in green Bay. Part of you just like wonders, what is it about Wink scheme that guys don't get home consistently for sacks? I mean, they get pressure, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, sacks is really like, you know, what matters. Those are the game-changing plays that you need on third down. It doesn't matter if you got a guy in the quarterback's face, if he's, you know, picking apart your zone left and right. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's an area
0: of improvement for both the personnel in terms of learning how to play in the scheme better and in the scheme, better understanding what personnel there are. Uh, I think the back to practice award for me just has to go to the defensive backs hands. I mean, I know, again, some of these guys were rotational guys, but honestly, it was Chuck Clark, Brandon mm-hmm. Stevens dropping a lot of picks Marlin. I felt like had his hands on a couple. and couldn't reel them in. Mm-hmm. So just hit the jugs machine, a couple times a day for the whole off season, we should be all right. Uh, newcomer of the season. And I'm actually going to split this category into two since we're, since we're discussing the entire season, let's do um, kind of young newcomer of the season. So I, I, we can include guys like Westry in there uh, and as well as the rookies and a veteran newcomer of the season, young newcomer of the season. For me, you could talk about, Oa, you talk about Bateman, the, the top two draft picks, uh, Chris Restry, like we talked about earlier, a guy who could have had a really good season, but injuries kind of derailed him. I'm not sure there's anyone who made a bigger impact in their first year as a young Raven other than Brandon Stevens. Dude stepped in after was already playing quite a bit before Deshaun Elliott got injured, steps in after Deshaun Elliott goes down for the season and keeps the ship afloat. I mean, had a couple really nice pass breakups play the run really well, really, really improved in his tackling and run defense as the season went on. And by the end of the year, like we've talked about, we're not necessarily as set on re-signing Elliott as we may have been early in the season when I could see Stevens being a starting safety for us next year. I think he's still got plenty to grow. He's still got plenty to work on. But for a guy who came into college as a running back and then came out of college as a cornerback, to be playing safety at a pretty high level on a team that really values high level safety play. is pretty impressive. Uh, Who'd you have for young newcomer of the season?
1: Yeah. Mine was Stevens as well, just because uh, like with queen, we saw so much improvement in a short time with him. I felt like, you know, it was funny um, when he was first, when he first was kind of asked to play that Elliot role after he went down, obviously it was kind of shaky. And then you, you fast forward a month or so to where, uh, you know, everybody was on the COVID list and we're sitting here begging for Brandon Stevens to be back. You know what I mean? It's funny. So um, yeah, Steve, Stevens would have to be mine. <clears throat> if he could catch another interception or two, that would be nice that bounce off his hands to, to the point that you just mentioned. But yeah, uh, coming out of the draft, he was a guy that, you know, pretty much the, the general consensus among everybody was who, you know what I mean? Just the, this random guy at a Uncle Lou Tech College that nobody really knew, but you know, a good physical frame and seemed like just one of those guys. Kind of like I'm trying to think of a good comparison in the past, but just a guy that we don't really know too much about the draft, but that you just kind of had that trust in EDC kind of mindset about. And then it yeah, ends up he, he's off. kind
0: of a kind of a unicorn in that respect. He uh, mm-hmm. like I I did I did quite a bit of draft prep before last year i'm obviously a lot more experienced in the nuances of it now for this season but stevens is a guy who i legitimately just didn't know anything about on draft day i think that was pretty common for for a lot of ravens fans but the front office clearly saw something in him whoever their smu scout is has hit to me two seasons in a row Proshi has shown us that the ravens drafted him for a reason even if they don't play him that much uh and and stevens another guy who i was even surprised that he was a third round pick and i was even surprised that he went that early. I remember at the end of the draft, some people were saying, oh, if you swap the Sean Wade and Brandon Stevens draft positions, it makes more sense. Since Wade was projected as even a potential first or second rounder before he struggled in, uh, in the, during the 2020 season. Anyway, Stevens just kind of a unicorn in terms of coming out as a really unknown unheralded prospect. And whether it was, I think it's a combination of his natural talent and ability to learn and the Ravens coaching him up and knowing exactly what they wanted to do with him.
1: Yeah. Also, no, no disrespect to uh SMU with the Uncle Lou Tech College comment there. I doubt we have any SMU fans listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, unless
0: unless we have one of the Ravens from SMU listening, in which case, come on the pod. But <laughs> yeah, also, yeah, also I'm sorry. <laughs> um but uh moving on to veteran newcomer of the season. This is this is a category that got more fun as the season went on because early on. We had guys like Kevin Zeitler come in. Uh, we as an off-season signing. Sammy Watkins, I think, falls into that category too. But then you like you signed Josh Bynes right before the season starts. We talked about how important he was, all the safeties go down. All of a sudden, Tony Jefferson's back in Baltimore and playing his heart out. Like that was actually kind of exciting part of the season to see some of these guys come back. I think Bynes would definitely have to be the veteran signing of the season just because, like you said, the way he just brought that calmness to the middle of the defense, I think, is what week Martindale has said in the past. Zeitler is definitely up there, too. Bringing stability to the right guard position was really important for this offense, but I think it, his signing and how well he played is overshadowed by the rest of the struggles on the line. He played really well pretty much the whole season there weren't very many times where I felt like he completely blew up a play the way Villanueva did a lot of times. And that's why Villanueva is not on this list. And, you know, he played really well. He brought stability to that position, but at the same time, I think it's impossible to quantify what Bynes did both in terms of getting this defense kind of reset playing the run and just getting a kickstart for Patrick Queens development.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, my choice is Alejandro Villanueva, obviously, but (laughs) no, no, no. Uh, Yeah. Bynes, uh, it's so funny because you almost like can't consider him a newcomer because he was only gone from here for what, a year? And and, yeah, just as well as he knows the system and he knows the people around here. It's funny to kind of consider him a newcomer, but I guess he technically can. Uh, You got to throw Houston in there, too, of course, just providing that kind of veteran stability, whatever that was for the pass rush unit this year. I mean, he was definitely sort of pacing. Mentorship, yeah, yeah. Mentorship
0: side of it too. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, again, if we unleash OA on the edge, I'm hoping he has some extra pass moves that he's picked up from Houston this season.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, even kind of got to give some love to the uh, hodgepodge group of running backs we had back there all this year. You know, Devontae Freeman, how many times did we give him, the newcomer of the week up until, you know, the last month of the season when he kind of faded off a little bit, but you know, I was going to say, I forgot
0: health. the namesake
1: of this award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, him, uh, we saw what Murray did the last week. He had a couple good games. You know, you think about the chargers game, he did pretty well despite all the injuries. So I don't know, I, I wouldn't be giving them this award by any means, but I think they at least deserve a mention considering the shoes that they had to come in and fill. Of Dobbins and Edwards. Remember when Le'Veon Bell was on the Ravens? Oh, God. Yeah.
0: Feels like an eternity. That's fun. You know? So fun. It's crazy. And he didn't, it's not like he played very well, but there was just something so comically perfect about him being on the Ravens and just hanging out on the sidelines during games when he wasn't active that I loved. As you know, one of the guys who could have been in the mix for this if he had returned to if he had returned anywhere near to his previous form, obviously, he's on the
1: Bucks now
0: trying to win a Super Bowl,
1: which is awesome. Yeah, also how nuts. crazy is that? They, their top two running backs are out, and I don't think he had a single snap the other day, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it is what it is, and it's so funny thinking back to uh, you know, what was it, 2019, 2018, 2019, when we're all sitting there at midnight going through his admittedly not great rap album trying to figure out where it is that he's signing. And then two years later, he's on our practice squad. It's just like, wow, this league, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. This league. I mean, this is my first full year covering this league uh, pretty much full time. And it's been an incredible league. It's been an incredible season, crazy season, but it's been a blast because you never know what's going to happen. And there's, there's so many interesting players and guys and teams and coaches and this and that, 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 there's never a shortage of things to look into and talk about, especially with this Ravens team too. Um, Moving on to mile high miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the season. We just had the anniversary of this play. I think last week or the week before, which is one of my favorite days of the year every year, because I think I watched the mile high miracle probably, I don't know, probably like 50 times a year. And then also an extra 50 times on that day. You know uh, that that's just like a honestly, probably pretty formative moment in terms of my Ravens fandom, just being like, wow, we just, we just pulled that off against Peyton Manning and growing up, I was a Manning over Brady guy. I, I, I revered Manning. So seeing us beat him in the playoffs is a little special, but um, my miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the season. uh, I'm going to make Tucker's field goal ineligible for this. Uh, I want to talk about some crazy, crazy stuff. The helmet interception in week one, is one of the ones where you're just like, what on planet Earth is possibly happening right now? Uh, and, and the way that kicked off our season, I think, gave us gave us hints as to the rest of the season would go, uh, you know, in thinking of the the other games, I don't know if there's like a, a miraculous moment that we had. Uh, throughout the season. But I think there were plenty of ridiculous plays. I think tr- I think some of those dropped interceptions were up there in key moments. Uh, I think week, I mean, even week two against the Chiefs had like multiple of these ridiculous moments where we're going forward on fourth and one and we're making it and we're getting the strip sack or the strip fumble from the Chiefs to get the ball to, to stop their get potentially game-winning drive. Uh, you know, some ridiculous moments early in the season that were kind of more in the vein of the Mahai miracle in a positive way. And then as the end of the season went on, it was, you know, balls falling two inches from Mark Andrews' hands on game-winning two-point conversions. And, you know, Tyler Huntley, I think, I, th- I think the pass you mentioned from Huntley to Watkins to beat the Bears counts as one of the ridiculous Ravens moments of the season because it's Huntley and Watkins, two guys who maybe a year, a year and a half ago, you couldn't imagine Tyler Huntley throwing a pass to Sammy Watkins to win the game. Like, that's just not in the realm of anything you'd ever imagine, and that's the point we got to this season. Uh, I also think uh, the Andrews touchdowns against the Browns also kind of fall into this category of, screw it, Andrews is down there somewhere that has since come back to obviously bite Lamar and Huntley in, in other, in other games, but in that single game, it was just a, if I can get the ball within 10 yards of Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is going to make the catch. Uh, What other ridiculous moments did you have from this season?
1: Yeah, I think we can pretty much go down the line. If I, it's tough to pick one. I think my mile high miracle or lack thereof would just be the string of two point conversions slash goal line opportunities at the end of the year that, you know, they go one way or the other, and all of a sudden we're looking at the playoffs here against good teams, mind you, too, against the Packers, against the Rams, against these elite teams who we're seeing, you know, who are now going to be playing next weekend as one of the, you know, the last eight teams left in the league. So I think if I had to pick, it would just be the combination of all of them, the Pittsburgh, the the Rams, the Packers, you know, all these games that just so – Easily could have gone our way, and we could be having a different discussion, you know, as we sit here today. Um, yeah, I, I guess th- there was a lot of ridiculous. I mean, the Tucker would have to be it, even though it's disqualified from this, just because we talked about it so much. But uh, that yeah, that was,
0: sequence with the fourth and nineteen to Watkins, yeah, before right before it as well, uh, yeah. definitely puts it in this in this category
1: yeah and, may, and who knows at this point we could probably just put the whole season as a whole as the W the. because
0: well, there are also ridiculous moments in terms of like Bowser getting injured in the last game of the season. Humphrey yeah. getting injured on the last defensive play against the Steelers. that touchdown Deontay Johnson scored uh, in the first Steelers game. That's the play that Marlon got injured on against the Vikings. Deshaun Elliott got injured, saving a touchdown. Like Mm -hmm. these are instances where, you know, like we talked about earlier, there are some cases of non-contact injuries. We got to figure out, is there stuff that needs to be improved? But at the same time, some of these injuries came because these guys were trying their hardest. And I think that's in some ways what makes some of these injuries hurt even more, which is, These guys are out here playing their butts off and that's how they get injured is by, you know, giving it literally all they have for this team. And it was just kind of one of those seasons where almost like an inverse of the mile high miracle. We were a mile below sea level at a certain point this season.
1: Yeah, well, Um, it's funny. It's like, that's what I was going to say, because a couple other things that just popped into my mind was like Watkins losing that ball in the lights in Miami and and how quickly that game turned. Uh, Hollywood dropping three balls, two of which were guaranteed touchdowns, the other which could have been a touchdown against Detroit that even put us in that position to have to kick a 66-yarder to begin with. So there's a lot of kind of, I mean, miracle quote-unquote moments this year that were positive as well as negative. So it's kind of interesting.
0: So um, moving on to head-scratcher of the season, this was a little tough because it gets a little bit nitpicky in terms of you know, making in-game decisions. And we've we've kind of talked about a lot of the two-point decisions, um, which for the most part, I was behind in, in the situation uh, that the Ravens were in in some of these games. It makes sense to try and go ahead and win it instead of giving the ball back to like Aaron Rodgers, for example. So I just want to think more general head scratchers. I think one of them is not using DuVernay the same way um, that I think we should have. Again, he's clearly not Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel is... Maybe a, like if you get rid of positional value, a top five player in this league uh, right now, he's playing an unbelievable level, but doing something with DuVernay to get his speed and power into open space. He's got a lot of strength running after contact. He ran through dudes at Texas. And so, you know, I think one thing that kind of boggles me is we talked about using him in different ways and that just never materialized. This vault that Roman talked about never came out. Uh, he had Lock a couple box. of nice plays later in the season, but uh, that he came up with later in the season. But where's Duvernay is a good question with all the speed that guy offers. Kind of the same thing with sitting proshi. I mean, we know what we get from proshi. Proshi's kind of a high floor player, good hands, pretty sharp route running, um, nothing crazy in terms of like, you know, deep threat or anything like that. But, you know, twice in a row, he had like what, five, seven catches for 70 plus yards. And then he was in a healthy scratch the next game. And I think that's to me the kind of thing that stunts a player's confidence and development. And you know, you just you got to find a way to get him on the field. I mean, by the end of the season, I think Watkins should have been inactive instead of Proshi, to be honest, because I don't see Watkins coming back next season. But I see proshi as a a, a pretty high-caliber slot receiver. Again, he's kind of in that old older mold of the West Welker, a little bit slower. And I think he has to improve on his run blocking from the slot if he wants to be there more consistently on this team, because, you know, that's kind of the new job of a lot of slot receivers nowadays is to also be able to, you know, seal off the edge when it, when the run comes at you, but not getting Percy that many minutes was another, another tough one to me. I, I don't really want to weigh in too much on the Nick Boyle, Patrick Picard, Dalen Hayes, kind of returning from injuries and not being able to play kind of thing. Cause I, we just don't have all the details on what kind of injuries those are. You know, I, I know Hayes underwent arthroscopic surgery. And so that's gonna, that's not always necessarily you just come out and you're ready to play right away either. Uh, other than that, I mean, head scratchers at a certain point, you're like, okay, I'm scratching my head as to why Robert Jackson is covering Devontae Adams. But at the same time, the other options, Kevon Seymour, and that's not that much better. So what are you going to do with that?
1: Yeah, you're kind of picking your poison there. Yeah, the the Prochet the one is so interesting because, you know, you even look back at that, uh, that Cincinnati game. What do you have, eight catches? It just – it's so interesting, and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, even to the untrained eye. You know, when you look – like Watkins wasn't setting the world on fire by any means. I mean, he's a great veteran presence. He made a few good catches this year. But, I mean, there's nothing I – mean, as you just said, he's probably not going to be back next year. And that's because he didn't really do that much overall. Um, yeah, he was a really solid outlet early in the season,
0: but it was clear by the end of the season, Hollywood Bateman were the top two receivers on this team. Duvernay was more of a playmaker on offense. And if you're going to rotate a guy in in the slot, why is it not going to be Prochie at that point?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of along that same vein, and I know this one's going to be kind of moot next year as we get Dobbins and Edwards back, but it was kind of interesting at times to see the lack of Tyson Williams and even Nate McCrary, you know, a guy who kind of stuck around in the practice squad all year was up, was down, but it's like, you didn't even really see what you had in him. You know, even the, the, the games that he was active for had one carry, you know, you can't, what are you going to do with that? Uh, I think I would have liked to see a little more. And, And we saw flashes from Tyson earlier in the season. That one's, I guess, a little more understandable, When you look at like the Bengals game where he's running out of bounds to avoid contact, supposedly there were some issues with him not knowing the plays. So that you can understand, but we didn't really hear anything in terms of McCrary. And, I mean, they brought him back for a reason. You know, he was on Denver's practice squad and they brought him back, but they just didn't use him at all. So that was kind of curious to me. Again, moot at this point because the vast majority of the running back room from this year isn't going to be on the team next year. But it was uh, interesting to me, I guess. Yeah I will say it's a little bit harder to hot swap
0: running backs in this scheme than it is others obviously read option the mesh point all that stuff Um, but especially with knowing where you need to go on a play like that's huge if if it's a quarterback option if the quarterback like doesn't have someone to hand it off to there's a chance he just gets absolutely annihilated and so that's I think that's I think that and honestly, Harbaugh was pretty open about Tyson needing to contribute on special teams to kind of get back into the good graces. And we could talk about whether or not this team uses special teams too much as a measuring stick for players. I think it's a good kind of Raven way kind of thing. Um, And, you know, he didn't really do much of that. They gave him special team snaps and he didn't make a ton of plays. And I I, I doubt he's back next year. I just think he's just burned the bridges he had here one way or the other. So, yeah, I think another head scratcher for for me was uh, when we touched on this earlier, the the, the pass rushing plan, you know, Wink improved on it throughout the season, but obviously throwing cover zero at Burrow didn't work. Uh, I'm not sure ever is going to work again, but to his credit, he did come up with the right plan to kind of hold on against the Chiefs. So I think the, I, I think the biggest thing for me defensively had scratcher is I just want to see, I just want to see, OA pin his ears back and rush the quarterback from the edge more consistently instead of, you know, that hybrid role that he did okay in. But I, I just think in a, in a season where you're just trying to hold on as best you can, a lot of these games, rather than focusing on, you know, having OE learn to be a really, really well-rounded linebacker, you can still focus and train on it, but at the same time, when you need it most you got to put all your best guys doing what they do best as much as you can,
1: mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure that'll uh, with more experience and what they when they kind of figure out what always best feature is because I mean he's still very raw right now at least in mm-hmm. in my opinion you, you know he's got the physical traits he's a freak in that regard but there's still a lot of technique things he can improve upon and that'll be big this upcoming offseason. And we'll, I guess we'll see what he does from there, but I guess we're all kind of hoping that he ends up being that double-digit sack guy that you expect when you draft somebody in the first round like that, especially yep. somebody that you just traded away, your starting right tackle for and considering all the issues we saw in that regard this year. Now, we didn't think that was going to happen at the time that we traded Orlando to to Kansas City, but – the fact remains that it did. So I guess the jury's kind of still out, but I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that there'll be a big step forward next year for him.
0: That's a, that's probably the biggest what if of the season is if Orlando Brown doesn't ask to get traded and ends up playing left tackle this season anyway, shout out to Dev with his what if piece a little while ago about all the different ways the season could have gone, uh, you know, yes, we don't get OA. But at the same time, we have a much more consistent O-line. I think Macari still steps in at right tackle. And you've got Orlando Brown at left tackle where he played very well last year. So could have been could have been very different. Um, kind of mentioning Pat McCari, let's talk about Unsung Hero. I kind of had two different tiers of unsung hero here. I had guys who were probably unsung heroes coming into the season or midway through the season, but by the end, we've kind of recognized how valuable they are. Uh, so for those guys, I have for, for kind of the guys in that category, Patrick McCurry kind of leads that off for me, uh, Eric Tomlinson and Patrick Ricard are the other two on the, on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, I think we, I, I do think we, we lost a little bit. Um, we lost track of Tavon young this year because he didn't get injured. But he held up. I mean, he was probably one of the most consistently available cornerbacks. And so I think for that reason and that reason, almost alone, he should get some praise here. He played pretty well. hes I don't think he's the best slot corner in the NFL the way we thought he could have been when he first signed his big contract. But in terms of just consistency at the slot position and not getting injured, that's a huge year from him. And so I don't think that's been talked about enough in terms of all the cornerback injuries. But then I also have... Uh, you know, I also have the little guys, the guys who really went un- unnoticed, unsung this year. Trista Colon Castillo stepping in at center for a game and consistently being our sixth offensive lineman when we need him on some of these power run plays. David Sharp, like when McCary got hurt later in the season and went down, I thought David Sharp held up pretty well and also importantly didn't let TJ Watt get that sack record. Uh, I want to talk about Isaiah Mack and Khalil McKenzie as potential defensive line building blocks in the future. Guys who are going to compete for a roster spot next year. McKenzie, particularly, was really unsung because of this like random obscure rule. Not really random or obscure, but a, a, a somewhat obscure rule that in order to get both of their standard practice squad elevations every game, the Ravens had to have eight offensive linemen on the roster. So. McKenzie's ability to be officially listed as an offensive lineman, but also play defensive line helped us get guys up from the practice squad that we needed this season with all the injuries in a weird way. And so that kind of ended up working out in a way that no one really expected when we first signed him as kind of just a random depth defensive line guy. Uh, Who else did you have for unsung hero? Uh,
1: Yeah, those are all good, uh, good options. Uh, I, I like the, the, the offensive lineman that you mentioned TCC uh sharp i doubt sharp will be around next year but it was good to see those guys (laughs) yeah uh, so but it was nice to be able to see those guys kind of step in uh especially in tcc's uh, case because he actually is going to be around and he's going to be interim inter integral to the depth of this team in 2022 and potentially beyond so it was good to see you know him come in and play some meaningful reps some good meaningful reps uh I know we already mentioned Bynes, but he would have to be in there as well for an unsung hero just because of that stability that he brought to the middle linebacker group and how I'm assuming how he helped queen kind of get over his early season struggles. So uh, Bynes would probably be my choice for this award. I mean, I guess it's tough to think of Chuck Clark as an unsung hero, but just kind of in that same regard, as you mentioned, Tavon, with the exception of the game he missed for COVID, he was kind of that consistent force that they needed all year, you know, kind of the glue that held it all together for better or worse. And in a lot of times it was worse, but just the fact that he was out there and he was kind of one of the few uh, consistent faces that really helped hold things together. So he would have to be at least a mention for me as well.
0: Yeah. And I think it also, you know, all of these guys speak to the Ravens scouting department ability to find random guys who can come in and contribute in different random little ways.
1: Mm-hmm. When you
0: have, I mean, McKenzie is a good example. Isaiah Mack rushing the quarterback against the Bengals and flashing a little bit there. I was kind of disappointed. He was, a uh, ended up getting elevated, but then being a healthy scratch, another weird random healthy scratch for that last game against the Steelers. And, you know, you, you you take you take what you can from these guys, and you hope that you can take a little bit of their potential and bring it bring it into next season. It would be amazing if one of these random defensive linemen that we've signed this season could be a roster spot guy for us next year, and and help us make this line a little bit younger, like we've wanted to. Um, you know, but but I also think. Hey, we, this was a this was a season for the unsung heroes, right? This was a season for guys mm-hmm. stepping up and and stepping out of depth roles into starting roles. And, you know, I think Patrick McCarry is a prime example of that got rewarded with a nice contract, which I'm really excited about, because he can play a ton of ton of positions on this line. So uh, that that does it for our, our weekly categories. Uh, Ron, thanks so much for joining me. We, I want to give a little sneak preview, a couple ideas of what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks for the pod. Uh, one thing we're going to do is kind of do our own version of the NFL's end of season awards, MVP, Offense Player of the Year, etc., um, plus a few that we think they should throw in just for fun as extra NFL awards. And then later, later on uh, in 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 January, or probably at this point in February, we're going to do a little bit more in depth unit by unit playing breakdowns uh, and some breakdowns of the front office and the coaching this season for some kind of more serious conversations about what this team needs to think, be thinking about as they head into free agency and the draft. Ron, any final final thoughts on the season, or are you ready to just be done with it?
1: Yeah, I pretty much gave most of my final thoughts in the season last week. At this point, I'm pretty much fully uh, directed towards 2022. I'm excited for the things we're going to get into as we approach free agency, as I continue to swoon over the Ravens' chances of signing Tyron Matthew, as as we start to uh, get into draft season. We know how Draft Twitter loves that. We'll start breaking down some names in particular that a lot of you guys love, that a lot of you guys have been talking about. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. And I guess the season never really stops around here, right?
0: No, it never does, especially with a, with a front office that loves to be as active as the Ravens have Ron. It's been such a pleasure doing these uh, doing these shows with you over the course of the season. I'm really excited for, for some of the off season content that we've put out, but I'm also really grateful for the opportunity to just hop on and, and, and first of all, make friends by talking about the Ravens. I think that's been one of the coolest parts of this pod the whole season.
1: Absolutely. Uh, one thing about the Ravens flock, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook, whatever social media outlet that you use to interact, it's definitely one of the more active and one of the more fun b- fan bases, not really just in football, but in all of sports, you know, when you look at these, some of these other teams and how toxic it can be at times and now don't get me wrong. There's definitely a subsection of the Ravens flock social media that can be like that. But for the most part, it's just, you know, a lot of great people who just love talking about our favorite team And that kind of passion doesn't go away just because it's the off season. As a matter of fact, in a lot of cases for people, it kind of ramps up this time of year. So uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff, great season. And I'm looking forward to everything we have on the horizon.
0: Yeah. They're crazy. Sometimes the Huntley for starting quarterback next season gang (laughs) really had me worried about our fan base, but I think now that we've gotten through to the other side and we're ready for next season, we'll be able to, Go into next season just fresh, thinking, yeah. thinking for a whole new season.
1: And as much I want Greg Roman gone as much as the next guy, but we got to stop sharing the Osama bin Laden memes. <laughs> like, Amen. You know, come on, you know what I mean? It's just just ridiculous. Now, do better, people. Not not to end it on this kind of sour note, but some of these people just take things a little too far and above. But we'll circle back to just kind of ending on a positive note. Great season, a lot of good stuff to look forward to, and uh, can't wait.
0: Yeah. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Thanks to everyone at, at Rusty Report who helped us get this pod going. And uh, we definitely look forward to having you back for some of our off-season content. Thanks so much.